Everybody. Welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Today, the show will be about the just happened conviction of Derek Chauvin on three counts of abuse of the civil rights of uh, George Floyd. Um, I'm going to begin by just reading you what the charges were and what the burden was of proof because as we all sat there and at least speaking for myself were terrified that this would be another version of the Rodney King police acquittal uh, six white jurors four black and two other people of color convicted him on all three counts I want to read what the counts were uh, the first count is murder in the second degree while committing a felony, meaning uh, Derek Chauvin was committing a felony. Third degree man murder, murder, and second degree manslaughter. So he was convicted of two counts of murder. Uh, now I want to read you what was required. The charges require the jury to conclude that Mr. Chauvin caused Mr. Floyd's death, even unintentionally, meaning that his prolonged kneeling on Mr. Floyd's neck and back was at least a substantial causal factor in his death, though not necessarily the only factor. All the charges require proof that the force used to restrain Mr. Floyd was unreasonable. The most serious charge against Mr. Chauvin is second-degree unintentional murder, also known as felony murder. The charge requires proof that Mr. Chauvin killed Mr. Floyd while committing a felony, specifically third-degree assault. That means the jury had to conclude that not only did Mr. Chauvin cause Mr. Floyd's death, but at the time he was killing him, Mr. Chauvin was assaulting or attempting to assault him by intentionally applying unlawful and non-consensual force that resulted in substantial bodily harm. Third-degree murder requires proof that Mr. Chauvin caused Mr. Floyd's death by perpetuating an act eminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind 
without regard for human life, according to the Minnesota statute. Third-degree murder is typically applied to more indiscriminate killings, such as spraying bullets into a crowd. The jury all... Okay, so the first thing to understand is that this is still pretty shocking and a very high burden of proof, a burden of proof that's imposed on black people without even a, a thought. There's almost no burden of proof to convict a black person of anything. But to convict a white police officer of these standards, including depraved activity, is, I think, you know, just profoundly unusual in U.S. history. And even though what we saw made most of us understand, of course, this was to us first-degree intentional murder, the legal standard is very high when you're white and very high when you're a white police officer in a white settler state. So I just me almost want to stop there, that I think the historic significance of this is going to have, if we do our job right as organizers, uh, profound ripple effects that could be very positive. On a, an emotional level, I, I saw it with my own eyes. The most moving thing in the world was when the judge said to the prosecution, are there any other motions you want to make? And he said, I make a motion to revoke the bail. The judge immediately said, I revoke the bail. And Mr. Chauvin, you remanded into custody of the sheriff. Now, having had that happen to me, and for more importantly, black people having that happen since they got here, uh, it's not that unusual, but it's quite unusual to watch this white police officer handcuffed by the police and put in jail. What's going to happen since then, after that? What are the implications of that? We can discuss. But the facts of the situation, to me, are profound and important. And yes, I feel some sense of strategic and also emotional, uh, dare I say, happiness about this development. Uh, I'm on the phone with my uh, one of my partners, Channing Martinez, who... Uh, has many thoughts about this and many feelings about this. An obvious statement is he and I work closely on everything, walk the streets of South Central together all the time, worked on this campaign. But at no time I am I ever in danger of being killed by police because of my race. And at every moment of his life, he is. So understanding those differences, hi, Channing, and what's on your mind? Hey, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you good. Great. Uh, well, that's a great article. I wish I found that article earlier that detailed the, the different charges and the specifics, which I could not find earlier. So to read that is really great. Um, you know, I tend to, to go partially with you, but I'm also ambivalent. But I think this is a good, a very big breakthrough. And I do still remember the protests and the rebellions of 2014 around, um, I don't know if I'm around Trayvon Martin and then the rebellions around uh, Michael um, Brown. Brown. Um, and we were in the streets all night, and that was a heartbreaking time where, you know, for me it was emotional, and when I felt myself getting over, 
more emotional. I just started chanting louder and then louder and louder um, because that was my way of dealing with the emotions. And so, but to get to today, you know, I'm still sort of in shock because I had not expected this, (laughs) to be quite honest. And I don't know what to think about it. Um, And so my, my main reaction is to go to the demand and, you know, start, you know, using this as we use the actual murder of George Floyd to then make even more victories happen and deeper cuts into the system. And so demanding a cut to the, a 50% cut to the LAPD budget, uh, reaffirming our demand to defund the LA school police, which has had a great victory of 35% of their budget is cut. Um, and this victory shows that that's why we need to defund them altogether, right? That's right. Um, and then finally, fighting for no police on uh, metro buses and trains. And, you know, bringing to life the names of those that have been harassed and targeted by police on metro buses and trains, um, especially um, Cesar Rodriguez, who we, uh, whose family we've worked with over the years. Um, and so... Uh, all that to say, I think it's a really great victory, and it gives some good possibilities for movement in our campaign to make some systematic changes on the local level here in Los Angeles, which then has very big impacts for the national level. Um, yeah, I mean, we're in a city of, look, we're in a city of, a county of 10 million people, a city of 4 million people, and um, a high-visibility city. And um, I totally agree with you that, you know, we're organizers and uh, we work with people that are, that suffer every day. And George Floyd is not coming back. So the victory is going to almost have to be how do we protect future lives? How do we get people out of prison? There's almost a million black people in prison. I think uh, every force here. I mean, President Biden called the family, and I think that's important. He said he's praying for them. I think the Democratic Party is um, uh, generally truly happy about this, and that's a good thing. And they're going to pass a Breathe Act and other things, but they will not be proposing to defund the police. And that's the central question that what we saw in this case is you cannot constrain the police, you know, you just can't. You just have to stop them from being. And, uh, but I just want to say, so there's two things. We want to move forward, but I want to stay in the moment just, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, when Emmett Till was murdered, the, he was murdered in cold blood by white Klansmen. When Mickey Schwerner and Andy Goodman and, uh, James Cheney were murdered. There was a trial, I believe, and they were all, all acquitted. Everybody, when Medgar Evers was, was murdered, the Klan was acquitted. When Rodney King was beaten by 25 police and, and clubbing him and clubbing him in, in plain sight, uh, all the police were acquitted. So at least one thing I want to talk about, because my mind still does go to strategy, is... We also want to organize the police. I know you may think that's funny, but you know I talk about that. We both want to cut the police, and while as we're cutting them, 
we want to talk to the people inside the police department still that you should call for unarmed patrols. I mean, why was, you know, George Floyd was murdered over an alleged counterfeit $20 bill. Um, uh, Eric Garner was uh, murdered over allegedly, I don't even remember, cigarettes or something. So we have to remember that we also have to decriminalize everyday life because whether it's a taillight, people are murdered over taillights and over counterfeit bills because the police intent is to murder. So all of which is to say that I think this is going to have profound repercussions and that right now as we speak, Trump, of course, is organizing. As we speak, the police are organizing. I'm sure there's going to be a massive defense committee for Chauvin. We don't know what the sentencing is going to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I also feel like there's a moment to just celebrate. Speaking for myself, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw him more than the conviction. It was the handcuffing that absolutely made me think I saw history being made. Oh, that's good. I didn't actually get to see the handcuffs. I think the news channel I was watching cut it off. Uh, it was Fox as you <laughs> Right. <laughs> they didn't want to show that to all the white white people. Um, but that I think that's the moment we were all waiting for in the office. Uh, Bridget and Kamal and Emily had just come back from organizing. We were watching the TV, and they announced the verdict. And then for five minutes, they were just you know saying different things. And Bridget turned to me like, "Wait a minute, where's the handcuffs? Why are they dragging him out?" <laughs> right. Good. And we'll tell Bridget moment, we won. Right. Uh, and at that moment, they cut it off. So I didn't. I, I, I definitely want to go back and and view that. Yeah. I mean, in the in the moment, um, you know, the system moves fast, and I think we have to move fast as well, right? Uh, I heard something about, um, and I don't know the specific language, but I heard something about someone in the court saying this is this proves that the system works. And I think we have to move right away to defeat that argument, right? And uh, Absolutely. already fight back against any any systematic co-optation of this victory here in L.A. and around the nation where LAPD might see, say, well, this provides, uh, this provides proof that in the next LAPD assault, there might be justice or there will be justice because it's shown that it's possible. And so I'm with you. Uh, I think this is a great victory. We should celebrate it. And I'm also already in moving in my mind, like, okay, how do we defeat all of the system's arguments? Well, I think um, just to keep talking, this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines. Uh, at 3.30, I'm going to just tell you something. We're going to be on with Noel Hanrahan. And I think this is totally relevant to what you just said, Channing. I just want to read something to show you how quickly we have to move. Um, as I'm waiting for the, the the show today and trying to figure out, of course, I did not know they were going to issue the verdict today. And I'm thinking about what to do. And uh, I just get something from Noelle Hanrahan from Prison Radio, who's just, you know, devoted her life to political prisoners and also to the life of Mommy Abu Jamal. And... Um, it turns out he just had open heart surgery, and it looks like 
we hope that uh, he's going to be okay for a moment. So now listen to this, though. Uh, his wife, Wadiya Jamal, says, I won't know if he's okay until I hear from him directly, which means she has not heard from her husband. Then uh, it says, we're demanding that the hospital officials in the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections do the following immediately. Mamiya must not be shackled to his hospital bed during his recovery, meaning he is. Let Mamiya speak with his family. Let Mamiya speak directly with his physician, Dr. Ricardo Alvarez. Let Mamiya speak with his spiritual advisor, Dr. Mark Taylor. Provide the appropriate rehabilitation plans for his recovery. Uh, I'm going to come back to that at 3.30 with uh, our friend and comrade, Noah Hanrahan. My point is, which is your point, that somehow we can simultaneously truly enjoy this, if that's a word, or savor it or something. But it's not abstract that as we speak, the, the system is moving on every single front. And yes, to take even your point, if in the future a police officer is exonerated, they'll say, well, he was con- look, Chauvin was convicted, so you can't say the system doesn't work. When it, you know you got what you want one time, so just because you don't get what you want 99 times. So all of which is to say, nonetheless, there is joy in the streets of Minneapolis. Six white jurors voted for conviction. That is a very big thing. Uh, these were random white jurors. I'll tell you, six white jurors convicted a white police officer of every single count, including murder. Uh to me, this I just want to keep saying again and again, these are building blocks for our movement. A big, big props to Black Lives Matter, to the Floyd family, to all the people that have worked on this case, to, to the prosecutor who prosecuted. I mean, you know, did you, you saw the George Zimmerman trial. They didn't prosecute. It was a, a, jo- it was a joke. So the prosecutor prosecuted, and the defense attorney defended ridiculous stuff, but he defended intensely. Normally, that would sway the jury because all you have to do is have an element of so-called doubt. And you know white people always doubt. Mm-hmm. So six white people, and, and Leanne and I were talking ahead of time, it just took one person to vote no on this damn thing, and it could have uh, hung the jury. So... I don't want to move, I'm just talking out loud, I don't want to move past it. I both have to move past it, but I don't want to lose it, and I want to stay with it for a while, not just for a minute or two. I want to stay with it tomorrow and the day after because these are building blocks of everything we're working for. And then to our listeners out there, uh, just another concept. We are in the middle of a fun drive that just began right this minute. And I was talking to several people and say, you know, uh, how do I integrate a fun drive into this? And I realized, how do I not? Because I'm at 210, sitting in front of my television, and Leanne and I are talking, and uh, I go off to do the show after Chauvin is convicted. And I have the, the opportunity, as you do, Channing, at 3 o'clock to be on the radio talking to people out there who I hope are listening. We can't do that without raising money for KPFK. 
818-985-5735. My understanding is you're going to go to uh, a service that will take your uh, contributions. Next week, I'm doing a major presentation again on my dear friend Paul Robeson. We're going to be offering the Criterion Collection of this amazing uh, uh, six-DVD set for $250. But today, just give some money for George Floyd. I mean it. Just give money for KPFK for being here, that an organizer like Channing Martinez can talk about the work he wants to do, that Noah Hanrahan, because right now Mamiya needs his doctor, needs to be unshackled. This is a great radio station, and Voices from the Frontline is a pretty good show. Uh, one more thing on that. I don't know what's up with our listeners, but you don't write to Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, but every time I see you in the world, people I don't even know, hey, Eric, I always listen to the show. I always listen to the show. So I know you're out there. That's my point, and you, you are going to be out there when we do call-ins. So 818 985-5735. Celebrate the victory in many ways. I would suggest you contribute generously in many directions, but starting with contributing to KPFK just at this very minute at 818-985-5735. It would mean a lot. I will get the figures on how many of you called in. Uh, all right, so we're going to go back to Channing. I'm just going to say I'm so glad that you said that about KPFK because as I was watching the terrible Fox News and realizing, gosh, they can't even bring on any black newscasters <laughs> to talk about the victory or any movement people to talk about the victory and uh, just realizing that that was in the 2 o'clock hour and, gosh, we go on the radio in the next hour and we get to say whatever we want about this victory the movement gets to say whatever they want about the victory, and there's no other station or, or, or you know around that allows that, um, not in LA County at least. And so, it is a very, uh, it's both a very good victory for George Floyd and his family and the movement, but it is also a victory for KPFK that we have this radio station, and it just shows that we cannot let this go because if we do. That's you know that's. We'll figure it out, but we don't want to have to figure that out. Um, and KPFK is a really big victory and a very good gift to the movement and uh, you know, contribution to make sure it continues its legacy and continues airing the revolutionary politics that it does is, is definitely a very good step in the right direction right now and today. Yeah, and to add, Channing, you know, I was listening to CNN. To me, it was unwatchable. I could not, I'm not going to mention, but there are commentators of a color on CNN, white people. I mean, they're all pontificating, avoiding everything. You know what I mean? All thinking they have something to say. I don't know how they think they do. Never discussing defunding the police. You know, one person said, well, of course you have to have law and order, but we should allow people to celebrate a little bit. You know, there's too much police. Why do you have to begin by saying that? I mean, if, you know, this is before the verdict already. You're already saying you need law and order. To do what? What in the world? Are, is anybody in Minneapolis going to murder somebody? I mean, they're going to, you know, it was shocking to me. So CNN, to me, is part of the problem, not part of the solution. 
And I was just struck by Channing. If you were, they would not have you as a commentator. They would not allow you to say, cut the police by 50%. You know, uh, let's have no police in the schools, no police on the trains and buses. That's the lesson here. But instead, they're all commentating about America, about justice, about what they feel about. And they're all fronts for Biden and the Democrats. So I, I was trying to make sure I didn't miss it, but I kept couldn't listen to them. So I kept muting them and muting them. But then I said, Eric, you're going to mute them, and then you won't hear the damn thing. So the point is, is that it's not just Fox. The point of view that we have in the movement is so isolated right now. We don't have uh, even members of Congress who could say, I'm supporting uh, Black Lives Matter. I'm supporting the Strategy Center. I'm supporting Students Deserve. I'm supporting the Bus Riders Union. That's the issue. So in our small way, everybody, I, I don't know if you know, but we have uh, the Strategy and Soul block parties every Saturday from 10 to 2 at 3546 Martin Luther King Boulevard. And we have wonderful programs, including a film theater. And we have books and we have food and we have plants and we have political community. And I'm sure this Saturday there's going to be a hell of a conversation about after the victory, where do we go from here? I know tonight there'll be, I'm sure, all kinds of uh, phone meetings and people calling each other. And I think we have to talk about what we're going to do next. So I want to thank you, Channing, really, for the leadership and Bridget and uh, Kamau and uh, Emily and all our members who are out in the street. Uh, before we get to um, Noel, are you on the phone? Yes, I am. Glad to join you. Great, glad to have you. Um, so, Channing, your last, just last thought about organizing, and we're gonna we're gonna make the transition to Noel Hanrahan and the. Uh, I already read some of the uh, demands being made in Mamiya's uh, behalf, but I couldn't think of a better connection between uh, the conviction of Derek Chauvin because George Floyd is not alive and they are trying to kill Mumia Abu-Jamal right now. Maybe I'll just make that segue now. Uh, Channing, you get one minute in the good sense and you'll still be back. One thought and we'll... That's a good segue and I'm looking forward to hearing from Noel about um, this important fight. And, you know, also, as you said, this Saturday, Block Party, it is our organizing forum um, at the Strategy Center that's most active right now during the pandemic. And uh, I don't know exactly the full program, but I do know that this is definitely going to be a piece of it. Um, and so I'll see you on Saturday. At info at the strategy org, And if you register at voicesfromthefrontlines.com, you get on the mailing list and you get invited to the uh, Strategy and Soul Revolutionary Organizing Block Parties every Saturday at 10 to 2 in South Central. Uh, so hi, Noel. How are you, Noel Hanrahan, and the amazing work of Prison Radio? And uh, be- what are you feeling at this moment? Tired but energized. I'm thrilled that we get to live for another day, that Mumia Abu-Jamal is alive. I mean, it was really dicey yesterday. Tell us. So Mumia had open heart surgery yesterday. And the context of a person who's in prison having that kind of surgery makes it very, more, even more vulnerable. Um, and 
some of the little things that happened that along the way, they took him for three days and they didn't tell anybody. And I kind of noticed that he was missing because he calls prisoner radio so much. So I called around and we started talking and I said, have he called his wife? Well, we found that they had transported him last Saturday from the, um, not this one, but the one before to the hospital. If you get sent out to a hospital from a prison, that uh, means you are critically ill. Right. And he hadn't been able to call his wife. He hadn't been able to call his lawyers and he hadn't been able to call his spiritual advisors. And so we found that he was there. And then we realized, and we found out after a lot of pressure campaign was put on the prison system that he was scheduled to go for a exploratory procedure to determine if he had blocked arteries and they put that off, they put it off. They finally did it two days ago and then they scheduled him for surgery presumably because we have not heard from the doctors. He has not been allowed to talk Jesus. to his wife for more than 15 minutes that they did a procedure, open heart surgery, um, looking at three different valves that were blocked. Now it's just awful. Like he was in open heart surgery yesterday. We knew it. We knew he was going, he had called his wife. We had done the campaign. He had been able to talk to his wife briefly. He was going to surgery and then they didn't talk to us. They didn't tell his wife or anyone else who cares about him, no one else, whether he survived that surgery. We only learned at 9.30 this morning when the DOC legal counsel notified us that he survived the surgery with no complications. That's what they said. Right. And we'll believe that when we right. talk to him, right? So prisons are an awful place to have major medical health complications and Mumia's uh, internist, who he saw in the infirmary, said the conditions under COVID in prison in part caused his congestive heart disease. He was in his cell, only able to walk three or four feet in one direction and three or four feet in another for over a year. So now our job is to make sure that he's not shackled to the bed in the hospital, which right. is likely, that he speaks with his family that he gets to speak with his personal physician, Dr. Ricardo Alvarez, that he gets to speak with his spiritual advisor, Dr. Mark Taylor, and that he has the appropriate level of diet and ability to recover from this surgery. Yes, he can recover, but only if he's allowed the opportunity to walk. You know, he's amazing and you're amazing. And I know we don't make the same analogy, but it does matter uh, you know, we're going to get to this, but one thing I think a lot about is, you know, because I run a, a center for organizing, is every single thing I think about, I try to figure out how can we uh, get more organizers to work on something. Like, how can we get somebody at the Strategy Center to pay more attention to Mumia's case? And we will. I wouldn't say that out loud if I'm not going to say that. But every, you understand, every campaign, uh involves in the level of scrutiny that you and others at Prison Radio and Mamiya have to do every day in this, you know what I'm saying? So the demands, like he should not be shackled to his hospital bed, meaning he is, right? Uh, let him yeah. speak with his family, which means he is not. Uh, what can we do? I mean, it says the next week's months will be critical in Mamiya's recovery. The condition of his confinement contributes to his heart disease. Uh, okay. Uh, we must have access to a physician, exercise on a heart health diet, 
Now, it says here, continue to call and write to the uh, PADOC, Pennsylvania Department of Correction, right? And right. let them know that we are watching and that freedom, freedom is the only treatment. And then you also said it's interesting that they have to, uh, you have all these addresses here, uh, which I will read, by the way. But still, how do they reach you? Because there's a lot of information here about people. Uh, I'm going to make a commitment that tomorrow a group of us will be making all the, all the calls on this sheet, okay? That I promise that. So, um, so what, what should we do? I would like people to be creative. So when you call, they sometimes change the email addresses. They change the numbers. I mean, if people can, because every ripple matters. Like the wave of pressure meant that they said that Mumia was going to be able to pick up the phone and talk to his wife once a day, even though it was limited for 15 minutes. Right. We had a little bit of a victory there. And we have to make sure that every inmate in Pennsylvania and other places, when they're in the hospital for major surgery, has the ability to talk to their family. Like, if we win a victory right. for Mumia, we, we need to win this for every single person. They can't be, like, granting special favors. They have to be doing the humane, decent thing for everyone. So if they're calling, if they get a bounce back, immediately send it to info at prisonradio.org, and then we'll change it. Okay. If, it, you know, if you, if you can't get through one extension, go to the another. That's you know, right. Go to the next one. Because the pressure matters. Like, we've got a – it just matters. It builds. So you can't win – without public pressure and accountability to the forces, right, that are there. So we have to be creative, and you can also tell us how you think we should be creative in terms of moving this. We have a couple of targets who, you know, the governor is really important. Larry Krasner is really important, who's the district attorney. So we need to make it clear that we are not going to settle for anything less than all the elders coming home. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I'm, can I, do you want to read them or should I read them? Why don't you read each? I'd like you to really read it. No. No? If you, I, I think organizing-wise, it's best if people All right. send an email to info at prisonradio.org. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. It, so, if they can, if they, if they can call us at 415-648-4505, a one-stop number, then we'll kind of get them the information they need. That's terrific. 415-648-4505. Four five zero five, and they can get that information. That's great. One thing I have found is uh, working uh, is if there's anybody who picks up, try to get them in a conversation just for a second. Try to make a human connection with them. Uh, you know what I mean? Because they're not, they don't want to talk to you. So say quickly, say your name, my mother. This reminds you know how are you? Whatever. Be creative. So the point is that the person. You could say I'm calling from California. I am a, I am a whatever I am, and I hope you care about this. I'm sure you don't want him, whatever. But you're trying to get, make a connection. And um, I had one woman who was calling me. I, I acted like I was somebody, and she kept saying, "All right, I'll call you back and keep you informed." And she actually did for a little bit. So we'll do all those things, okay? Um, Thank you. Uh, I do want to say that. If you write him, Mumia Abu Jamal, Smart Communications, Mumia Abu Jamal, AM 8335, et cetera, does he get those letters? He does. Mumia gets 99% of his mail. Well, that's amazing. All right, that's good. All right, Eric, you heard what that means. You're going to write a letter. 
So everything requires doing something. Uh, tell us the number again and the email both because everybody, listen to everybody. Um, we have to get the police out of the schools. We have to get the police off the trains. We have to get Mumia out of prison. And we certainly got to get him into a rehabilitation situation, which the prisons don't even know what to do with medically. So again, Noel, amazing work. How do they reach you? Tell the phone number and the... Uh... 415-648-4505 and info at prisonradio.org. You know, the, the, the victory that we had today, that was a victory. It is a but victory. it was about accountability. It was about accountability. It wasn't about prevention. Right. It wasn't what we need. We really need. We don't need this conviction. What we need is fundamental, radical defunding and change. We need our people to be safe every moment. They are not safe because it's business as usual. There are no changes so far. You know, so we, we are increasing in Philadelphia our funding of the police. Like, it's insane. We need... They are, they are increasing? The, the city is increasing the police? They are increasing the police. They are hiding it in the managerial right. department director's budget. Well, I'll speak for myself that I think, you know, I, you, Noah, you've done this. I've done this work for over 50 years. And most of the time, things do not go the way I hope. Uh, I don't get disappointed because, or I do, but I'm tied to the lives of real people who have real lives. So to me, uh, the fact that he had open heart surgery, which you know, by the way, if people don't know, that is a major surgery that involves, I believe, breaking the breastbone and going in and, and actually having to go in and, and you know, unclog the valves and uh, perhaps creating an art, an whatever, you know, how to undo the blockage, create a stent. It's a miracle that he survived that in such a weakened state, right? It's a miracle he's alive. And we fight for these miracles every day. It's a, it's a hard job, but uh, nothing like being an imperialist. You know, I mean, that's a, you know, we fight these people every moment. And I'll speak for myself. This is very encouraging. You know, what I mean, inside a very difficult situation. Great appreciation for everything you do, and great appreciation to Mamiya. And I'm gonna do all. I will pledge to do all the things on your list of to dos. Um, you know, and thank you everyone for listening to Mumia and for doing things because we saved him when we got Hep C cure delivered the fast acting antivirals. That was three years ago, God. and then we rolled it out for the rest of the prison population in Pennsylvania and then around the country because it was the first injunction ordering that cure for inmates that could be cured. Wow! And we're doing it again. So every time he gets transported to the hospital, it's because you put up the fight. It's because they know that they're under the big white hot spotlight. That's the reason that this person, Mumia Abu-Jamal, is alive today. It's every single one of your listeners who has ever done anything. Well, we go back to also contributing to KPFK at 818-985-5735. Uh, I want it in some way to go to the phones, but it's conflicted because we need the phones open for the fund drive. Uh, just, it's all related. Uh, I say this all the time. It is shocking to me the uh, bare-bones skeleton budget that KPFK has to operate. So many more things would be possible if we could double the budget. 
so many more things could be possible if we could uh, just have a stable uh, budget with major donors and all those things you can dream of. But the reality is, folks, that you're out there. The reality is it's you, 818-985-5735. You can contribute $1,000. That would be great. You can contribute $500. You can contribute $250. But especially if we're talking about the uh, conviction of Derek Chauvin, which to me is is very important historically, and uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal's successful surgery to celebrate as stepping stones to the larger war. Another thing you can do is 818-985-5735 is please contribute to your station and a vote of confidence and voices from the front lines with Eric Mann and Jenny Martinez and Noel Hanrahan. Noel, you get a, a last thought, of one of many. And thanks, by the way, I emailed you real quick and you got you jumped all over it. So that's good organizer on your part. You know, KPFA is incredibly important. This is the space that we have. This is ours. And so we need to actually keep it, keep it healthy, keep it alive, feed it, and really call during the programs that you care about that move you because those programs deserve your support. So I started off at KPFA. The reason Mumia Abu-Jamal is here is because of the Pacifica Network I was at. You know, so it really matters. It matters. And that we only have Mumia because I was a reporter at KPFA in terms of his voice in this way that we have him. Wow. Well, this is KPFK in, in, in L.A. and in Southern California. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices. You heard Noel. Uh, let's make some serious, I mean, what better thing to do given these two interrelated struggles than Channing Martinez or telling about all the fights you know, we're trying to get rid of an apartheid bus pass. Can you imagine that? That they want to pass free public transportation, but black and Latino people have to prove they're poor. Uh, they don't have to prove they're poor to pay four half cent sales taxes every day when they, and something that should be free should not be degraded by a race and class and gender uh, card you're going to have to say to say, I am <laughs> low income. I'm getting my point if there's a point here. Voices from the Front Lines is trying to create like what we call a comprehensive movement strategy show where you know we will be talking about stopping the U.S. attacks on the People's Republic of China. We'll be talking about keeping U.S. hands off the Venezuelan revolution. Then we'll talk about getting medical treatment from Omiya Abu-Jamal. Then we'll talk about... Uh, Black Lives Matter and all the other people in the struggle. Very few shows have this kind of comprehensiveness. And next week we'll talk about Brother Paul Robeson and teach us some more stuff about black pan-Africanist, pro-communist history. Uh, you know that ain't going to be on CNN, folks. It's not going to be on Fox. It's not going to be anywhere else you're going to hear it. It would mean a lot if you could write this minute, call in with your credit card at 818 985-5735. Thank you, Noel. Uh, why don't you stay on for a little bit, actually? And me, you, and Channing are going to just talk. Uh, if you just have a few more minutes. Channing, what are you thinking about next? Where do we go from here? I mean, it's uh, it's it's good to know that 
uh, Mamiya is still alive, and I also want to take as all of the actions that you listed, um, and we'll be putting it out, uh, putting it out with our podcast tomorrow as well. Um, and yeah, that's as far as I got. <laughs> Um, I agree with everyone. You know, fund KPFK and give a donation right now to support Voices from the Front Lines and support KPFK Radio as we're trying to do as creative uh, as possible radio as we can and find everything. And so um, I agree with that sentiment as well. Yeah, I want to read something actually that's very relevant as we stay on the subject. For those of you listen, you understand we're on every Tuesday from 3 to 4. I'm in the studio right now. Um, but a lot of people cannot listen every Tuesday from 3 to 4. Uh, more, more people could listen if we were on 24 hours every, you know, seven days a week, which we are. We're on, you can find us on kpfk.org. You can find us on Voices from the Frontlines. But we are making this show into a podcast. And after, it is a podcast. So after the show, Keanu Williams does edit the show. And after the editing is done, we put it up. Hopefully, we'll try to get this show up tomorrow, Channing. Actually, we can move on this. And then we send it out to our mailing list. Now, we're asking each of you, if you get it, you're going to get a link, right? So on that link, you're going to be able to replay the show and then forward it to your friends with a note. So I want to show you one of the first people that's responded to our efforts, and yes, Noel, in the middle of all the things you do in the next six months, maybe you could write a sentence or two, but I want to read you something from a guy named Eddie Bonilla. Uh, I hope this email finds you well. I want to send my condolences regarding the recent passing of both Reese and Jean, both of our comrades from the League of Revolutionary Struggle. I was able to listen to this week's episode with Peter uh, Shapiro this morning, I was also able to listen to the past few episodes as well. I'm currently residing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm so excited to be able to listen into the show on podcast from thousands of miles from my original hometown of Southgate, California. As a postdoctoral fellow in Latinx studies and history at the University of Pittsburgh, I think the show can be a great resource in the classroom to get students thinking about how the social movements of the past are not just historical, but are also occurring in the contemporary moment. Uh, I recently caught up on various episodes, including the one honoring Reese Ehrlich on the FBI, as well as the show with Madison Tang on China and Barbara Lott Holland on the Bus Riders Union. I love that each episode features guests and topics other podcasts are afraid to confront such as China and the role of both Democrats and Republicans on U.S. imperialism. As someone who moved to a new town during the pandemic, with not much contact with folks, Voices allowed me to feel part of a community of people asking the hard questions about the structures that shape our daily lives. I appreciate that Eric and Channing give insight into the Labor Community Strategy Center's political platform and organizing, which seeks to chip away at these structures causing various forms of oppression, not only in Los Angeles, but across the country as well. I look forward to tuning in on future episodes and can't recommend it enough for activist scholars and community members interested in what is happening on the ground against imperialism. 
Thank you for all running the program every week and the guests that appear on the show. So Eddie Bonilla couldn't have (laughs) pretty beautifully written. And then Eddie is going to send an email to his friends. And then we're going to publish this tomorrow, Channing, as well as, you know, and somehow as well as uh, this whole commentary on George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, and now uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal. And we'll have, of course, Noel Hanran. And we will still have the appeal to KPFK on the podcast. It's a lot of work, folks, is the point, in case you didn't know. So we put a lot of work into this because I can call Noelle, and then she says, yeah, here's my number. I'll be on in 15 minutes. And uh, I can call Channing and say, oh, damn, they're going to do the uh, the verdict in an hour. Can we get an email out, which you got? So it's great that we're building a political community. If you would like, please send us an email stating why you like the show, because what Noel just said is really important, that you're also giving money to voices from the front lines. It matters in what time slot. It gets measured. And we want to show that there is support for this program among our listeners. Uh, Noel, where do you want to go from here? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting, I think, that every person has something to contribute. You know, and don't be shy about doing the thing that you love the most. So the thing that you're good at, the thing you like, the, the way you interact with the world, really go with that. Polish that up. Um, that matters. So don't think that there's something that's inaccessible to you in order to do for political prisoners. Because you never know when you're going to touch somebody, when you're going to read somebody. So it it's really important um, to step up right now. And, and I could say it's really important because if we don't fight for Mumia, we're not fighting for ourselves. There was this great Rashid uh, image that he drew because he's a great artist where he said, Mumia is not free because we're not free. You know, I really do believe that. Um, and if we're fighting for our political prisoners who've been imprisoned, fighting on the front lines, who were trying to speak truth to power, then we are fighting for ourselves. You know, uh, every time I talk about Mamiya, I'm I'm careful to, to, how do I explain my experience? You know, on one level, it's a valid, it's a very valid, I was in prison for a year and a half for demonstration. I was a political prisoner. I was in solitary for 40 days. But also, the thing about being shipped out was so scary. You know, what you were just saying about, you know, I was shipped out four different times for organizing. And, you know, you're in prison and you have these little uh, securities you develop, right? You think you know the rules. You got cigarettes, which are the currency. You have your books. You have whatever the hell you have. And then they just come in and say they handcuff you and put you in a car. I say, where am I going? They say, we can't tell you. And they take you to a different prison. So even in Mumia's case, on the positive, when they're taking him to the hospital— they don't tell his family, right? They don't say uh, we're taking him, and they, I'm sure they even have him handcuffed, which is insane. So I, I have these experiences, first of all, because they're valid, as they say, but to give me a greater sense of empathy is the point of people who sacrifice is so much greater than mine, like Mamiya. But when I hear about, you know, when he and I talk and everything, I can relate, as they say. You know, I can relate a little bit more, having at least having the you know, the cell doors locked every night. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know if you have time, but 
I haven't read this in public, and I would like to read a note that I wrote to Mumia. Sure. We have about three minutes. Uh, please do it. I would love that. Okay. You know, it's hard to write while crying, but let me try. Mumia Bujamal is awkward and funny. He walks slowly, salute-foot, deliberately lumbering. He has a big, broad, and warm and open smile. His hug is thick and solid. It's like you're hugging a giant grandpa but can't reach. You can only reach halfway up as he leans over. His beard is scraggly and gray, neat but consciously, deliberately unconforming, always his own. Dreads were rare in America when he first wore them, and he flips the locks from his face with the back of his hand. He's professorial with a touch of pirate, half glasses resting on the bridge of his nose as he leans forward to read. Every piece of paper a treasure. When he's shocked or surprised, he leans back, crooks his head, narrows his eyes, and gives a penetrating and quizzical look, open, questioning, searching, not quite vulnerable, but open. Really? Why? He asks. He loves chocolate, pastry, cheesecake, and hoagies. He will choose salad if available. He drinks water or ginger tea, never soda. When he laughs, his whole body laughs, hearty, loud, he snorts. He can be sonorous. He can be like radio preachy in a way, even when he's talking. It's easier to report than be the story. That's why he so rarely talks about himself in public. Hmm. He loves to listen. These observations are his way of being in the world with us. He's consciously building a bridge with us by sharing himself on the airwaves. He's guarded with all of his emotions except love and concern for others. He recognizes how much he has lost. When he lets himself realize that the years turned to decades of loss, he has a resolute fierceness born of the love of himself, his family, and his ancestors. Instinctually, he cannot compromise their principles and integrity. He cannot be polite and allow false promises or white lies. Some men might be consumed by anger, but I have never seen him hold on to anger or act from anger in person or personally. Never. I've seen him be deliberate in writing, pushing or pulling away by retreating into his internal world or defending others by trying to shield them from harm. He loves fiercely and unconditionally. His loyalty to his family is all-encompassing. His greatest sorrow is that all of his efforts to be there for his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren cannot match what he would give if he were able to live with them. Mumia has an enormous and unfailing and gigantic heart. Mumia, as you begin your journey to recover from heart surgery, we will be with you. We will send love and letters. We will scale the mountain of freedom and bring you back home to us. Perfect sentiment and perfect timing. Folks, we're going to say goodbye now, just till next week at 3. This is That was the voice of Noel Hanrahan. You've also heard the voice of Jenny Martinez. This is the voice of Eric Mann, your co-host of Voices from the Frontlines of George Floyd. We love you. We think about you uh, in some way. I hope you feel some gratification of what happened today. And we have a whole lot of fighting to do. Uh, we'll see you next week on Voices from the Frontlines. Please call in 
at 818-985-5735 and contribute to Voices and contribute to KPFK. Take good care, Noel. Take good care, Channing. Take good care, D'Angelo Jones. And we'll see you next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. A life that's full I've traveled each And every highway And more Much more than this I did my way Yes, regrets I've had a few 